This episode is brought to you in part by Little Divas Balloon Decorating. For over 11 years, Little Divas Balloon Decorating has turned events into experiences and celebrations into parties. Birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, and any event you can imagine. Little Divas can bring it to life. Specializing in balloon sculptures, cake table, and doorway arches and more. Get a hold of Little Divas now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one they'll remember. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Visit them on facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Little Divas, it's where the memories begin. A production of Sloan Studios. The following may contain strong language and adult situations with depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. The ocean can be a dangerous place, full of mystery and doubt. And there's been many stories of strange sights and sounds and tall tales out beyond the view of land. Over the horizon, the people on a ship are alone with the elements, and several have returned with the stories of what they have seen out there. Many ships have disappeared over the course of history, some carrying fantastic treasure, Some carried famous people. The seas are so vast and often so deep that they can swallow the greatest ships that mankind could ever hope to produce, seemingly at a whim and leaving no trace. And there have been stranger things reported than the disappearance of a ship. Entire squadrons of planes have vanished in the Bermuda Triangle. Ghost ships that were centuries old have been seen. Then, in front of your eyes... They just vanish. And ships such as the Mary Celeste have been found, perfectly serviceable, but inexplicably deserted. One such of these phantom ships is the merchant vessel Joyita. She disappeared along with her passengers in 1955. What happened to the ship, which was by design virtually unsinkable, and more mysteriously, what happened to her crew? Well, that is a mountain mystery, and this is episode 65, The Joyita, A Mystery of the Sea. Over 24% of the 1.9 billion square acres in America alone, the mountains that so many people call home, also play host to some of the most staggering mysteries in the world. The missing. And she said, I knew I wasn't there anymore. The murdered. All my emotions just went blank, just like, just blank. And I still live with that today. I think about that so much today as he was in that water. Strange creatures. Whatever it was that was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. I mean, it was a, nope, we need to get out of town. Unexplained lights and sightings. It doesn't 
and that look like an airplane. Okay. They come together and then they separate and they just keep doing this all the time. These stories may be strange. They may be sad. They may be odd. But they are mysterious. These are the Mountain Mysteries. And now your host, Chris Sloan. The Joyita was an American merchant vessel that 25 passengers and crew mysteriously vanished from in the South Pacific in October of 1995. She was found adrift with no one on board. Now, there's no mistaking it. The Joyita was in bad condition. Corroded pipes and a radio that, while it did work, only had a range of about two miles, and that was because of faulty wiring. However, the extreme buoyancy of the ship made sinking nearly impossible. Investigators were puzzled as to why the crew had not remained on board and just simply waited for help. Joyita was a 69-foot wooden ship built around 1931 as a luxury yacht. It was built by the Wilmington Boat Works in Los Angeles for movie director Roland West, who named the ship for his wife, actress Jewel Carmen. In 1936, the ship was sold and registered to Milton E. Beacon. During this time, she made numerous trips south to Mexico and to the 1939 and 1940 Golden Gate International Expo in San Francisco. During part of this time, Chester Mills captained the vessel. It was in October of 1941, just before the attack on Pearl Harbor. Joyita was acquired by the United States Navy and taken to Pearl Harbor, where she was outfitted as a yard patrol boat, YP-108. The Navy used her to patrol until the end of the Second World War. In 1943, she ran aground and was heavily damaged, but the Navy was badly in need of ships, so the Joyita was repaired. It was then that new pipework was made from galvanized iron instead of copper or brass. Shortly after the war in 1946, the ship was surplused to Navy requirements and most of her equipment was removed. The Joyita was sold to the firm of Lewis Brothers in 1948. Now this is the time when the cork lining was added to the ship's hull along with refrigeration equipment. Now the cork lining made the boat practically unsinkable. The ship had two gray marine diesel engines that provided 225 horsepower and two extra diesel engines for the generators. In 1950, William Tavares became the owner, but he didn't have much use for this ship. He sold it in 1952 to Dr. Catherine Luamala, a professor at the University of Hawaii who then charted the boat out to her friend, Captain Thomas H. Dusty Miller, a British-born sailor living in Samoa. Miller used the ship as a trading and fishing charter boat. It was around 5 o'clock in the morning on October 3, 1955, Joyita left Samoa's Apia Harbor. She was bound for the Tokelau Islands, about 270 miles away. The boat had been scheduled to leave on the noon tide the previous day, but the departure was delayed because of the port engine clutch failing. She eventually left port, but only with one engine. Joyita was carrying 16 crew members and nine passengers, including a government official who was identified as Dr. Alfred Andy Dennis Parsons, a World War II surgeon. He was on his way to perform an amputation, a copra buyer, and two children. 
Her cargo consisted of medical supplies, timber, about 80 empty 45-gallon oil drums, and various food items. Now, this trip was supposed to take between 41 and 48 hours. Joyita was scheduled to arrive in the Tokelau Islands on October 5th, but the date came and went. No Joyita ever arrived. It was on October 6th that a message from the Fakaofo port reported that the ship was overdue. No ship or land-based operator reported receiving any distress signals from the crew, so a search and rescue mission was launched, and from October 6th through October 12th, Sunderlands of the Royal New Zealand Air Force covered a probability area of nearly 100,000 square miles of ocean, but there was no sign of the Joyita or of any of her passengers or crew. Five weeks later, on November 10th, Gerald Douglas, captain of the merchant ship Tuvalu, was traveling from Savu to Funafuti and sighted the Joyita more than 600 miles west of her scheduled route. The ship was drifting north to Vanua Levu. The ship was partially submerged and listing very heavily to port. Her port railing was already submerged under the sea, and there was no trace of any of the passengers or crew. Four tons of cargo were also missing. The recovery party noted that the radio was tuned in to 2,182 hertz, which was the International Marine Radio Telephone Distress Channel. The Tuvalu pulled alongside and noticed some ghostly damage to the Joyita. Barnacle growths had already grown high above the usual waterline on the port side. This showed that the ship had been listing heavily for quite a while. There was some damage to the superstructure. Her flying bridge had been smashed away and the deckhouse had had some light damage and broken windows. A canvas awning had been rigged on the top of the deckhouse behind the bridge. Joyita carried a dinghy and three Carly lifeboats, but they were all gone. She did not carry enough life jackets for everyone on board. The starboard engine was found to be covered by mattresses, while the port engine's clutch was still partially disassembled showing that the vessel was still running on only one engine. An auxiliary pump had been rigged in the engine room and mounted on a plank of wood that was slung between the main engines. However, it had never been connected. The radio on board was tuned to the International Distress Channel, but when the equipment was inspected, a break was found in the cable between the set and the aerial antenna. The cable had been painted over, obscuring the break. Now, there's no doubt that this would have certainly limited the range of the radio to only about two nautical miles. The electric clocks on board, which were wired into the vessel's generator, had stopped working at 10.25 and the switches for the cabin lighting and navigation lights were all on, which suggested that whatever had happened, happened at night. The ship's logbook, sextant, mechanical chronometer, and other navigational equipment, as well as the firearms that Miller kept on the boat, they were all missing. A doctor's bag was found on deck, and it contained a stethoscope, a scalpel, and four lengths of blood-stained bandages. There was still fuel in the ship's tanks, and from the amount used, it was calculated that she had managed to make it about 243 miles before the vessel was abandoned, probably within 50 miles of Tokelau. The leak had probably started after 9 o'clock in the evening on the second night of the voyage, with nine hours of darkness still ahead. Although Joyita was found with her bilges and lower decks flooded, 
her hull was sound. When she was moored back in harbor at Suva, investigators heard the sound of water coming into the vessel, and they quickly found that a pipe in the raw water circuit of the engine's cooling system had failed because of corrosion, and that allowed water into the bilges. More than likely, the first that the crew would have known about the leak would not have been until the water rose above the engine room floorboards, and by that time it would have been impossible to locate the leak. Also, the bilge pumps were not fitted with strainers and had become clogged with debris. What that meant was certain disaster. It would have been nearly impossible to pump water out of the boat with the outlets being clogged up. A formal inquiry into the fate of Joyita was held in February of 1956. It found that the vessel was in poor shape to start with, but determined that the fate of the passengers and crew, well, that's inexplicable on the evidence that was submitted to the inquiry anyway. An especially perplexing point was that the three life drafts Joyita carried were all gone, they were missing, but it would not make sense for the crew and passengers to voluntarily abandon the vessel. Fitted out for a refrigerated cargo, Joyita had 640 cubic feet of cork lining in her holds, making her practically unsinkable. In addition, there was even more buoyancy that was provided by empty fuel drums the investigation was able to establish only the reasons for the vessel becoming flooded. It found that the ship would have began to flood due to the fracture of the cooling pipe. The bilge pumps were unserviceable because of becoming blocked. Joyita lacked watertight bulkheads or subdivisions in the bilges. The water would have gradually flooded the lower decks as the boat began to sink lower into the water. The one remaining engine would not have been enough to maintain enough speed to steer. Joyita then fell beam on to a heavy swell and took on the heavy list it was found with. Now while the ship was flooded to an extent which would sink most conventional boats, Joyita stayed afloat due to her cork-lined hull and cargo of fuel drums. The inquiry also placed much of the responsibility for the events squarely on the shoulders of Captain Miller. They found this guy reckless for setting out on an ocean-going voyage with passengers with only one engine and all kinds of minor faults, and negligent for failing to provide a working radio or properly equipped lifeboats. He was also in breach of maritime law, since he had allowed Joyita's license to carry fare-paying passengers to lapse. And the inquiry made no mention whatsoever as to the use of the medical equipment that was found on board, including the bloodied bandages. Coming up, there is no shortage of theories about what really happened to the Joyita and the people that went missing from her. We'll cover those after this. They are making a statement that they believe. They believe in things we can't explain. And they believe in the ability of an independent podcast to make a difference and keep the memories of those we've loved and lost alive. You can too. Get your official gear from the Mountain Mysteries. T-shirts, embroidered ball caps, jackets, sweatshirts, and more from the podcast that everyone is talking about. Get yours today at www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com and shop on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Mountain Mysteries and show your support for the Mountain Mysteries. Stay mysterious. 
For over 11 years, Little Divas Balloon Decorating has turned events into experiences and celebrations into parties. Birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, and any event you can imagine. Little Divas can bring it to life. Specializing in balloon sculptures, cake table, and doorway arches and more. Get a hold of Little Divas now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one they'll remember. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Visit them on Facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Little Divas, it's where the memories begin. Support the Mountain Mysteries on Patreon and get early access to all episodes. With three tiers, it's easy to choose what you want. Five and ten dollar tiers get you early access, plus free gear, behind the scenes bonus content and more. Plus access to interviews that would have wound up on the cutting room floor. Find out links on www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com and on facebook.com forward slash the mountain mysteries. Support the Mountain Mysteries and stay mysterious. We now return to the Mountain Mysteries with your host, Chris Sloan. There's been all kinds of theories that suggest what may have happened here. Joyita has sometimes been referred to as the Mary Celeste of the South Pacific and has been the subject of a lot of books and documentaries offering explanations that range from rational and conventional thoughts to supernatural and even paranormal. Several theories for the disappearance of the Joyita's crew and passengers have been advanced. Many were circulated at the time of the event, and several others have been put forward since then. Now, if we think about the fact that the hull of the Joyita was sound, and the design of the ship made her practically unsinkable with a cork and all these other things, a main concern of investigators was determining why the passengers and crew did not stay on board if the events were simply triggered by the flooding of the engine room. Theory number one, the injured captain hypothesis. Captain Miller should have been very well aware of the boat's ability to float, leading some to contemplate that he had died or somehow became incapacitated, hence the bloodstained bandages. Without him to reassure the other people on board, a lot of people could have panicked and went over the rails. However, this in itself would not account for the missing cargo and equipment unless the vessel had been found abandoned and the cargo removed. A friend of Captain Miller, S.B. Brown, who was also a captain, was convinced that Miller would never have left Joyita alive given his knowledge of her construction. He was aware of the tension that existed between Miller and his American first mate, Chuck Simpson, and felt that their mutual dislike finally came to blows and both men fell overboard or were severely injured in a struggle. This left the vessel without an experienced seaman and would explain why those remaining on board would panic when the ship started to flood. Theory number two, Japanese involvement. Now keep in mind the time this was, less than 10 years after the end of the Second World War. The Fiji Times and Herald quoted at the time from what they called impeccable sources to the effect that Joyita had passed through a fleet of Japanese fishing boats during its trip and had observed something that the Japanese did not want them to see. The Daily Telegraph in London theorized that some still active Japanese forces from World War II were to blame for the disappearances operating from an isolated island base. There were still very strong anti-Japanese sentiments in parts of the Pacific, and in Fiji there was specific resentment of Japan being allowed to operate fishing fleets in local waters. 
Such theories suddenly gained credence when the men clearing Joyita found knives that had the Made in Japan stamp on them. But tests on the knives proved negative, and it turned out that the knives were old and broken, quite possibly left on board from when Joyita was used for fishing in the late 1940s. Also, there was a proposition that the vessel's occupants were kidnapped by a Soviet submarine, with the world at the time in the midst of the growing Cold War. Earlier reports that the Joyita had been involved in a collision led to speculation that she had been rammed and that modern sea pirates attacked the vessel, killed the 25 passengers and crew, and threw their bodies into the ocean, and then they turned and stole the missing four tons of cargo. Then there was the theory about insurance fraud. It was also revealed that Miller had amassed a large amount of debt after a series of unsuccessful fishing trips on Joyita. But that would have been difficult to see the events surrounding Joyita as insurance fraud, given that no seacocks were ever found open, and the ship would also be impossible to scuttle. Also, Miller was relying on Joyita being chartered for regular runs between Samoa and Taukalau. These government charters, that would have quickly cleared his debts. Theory number four, the mutiny hypothesis. A subsequent owner of Joyita, British author Robert Mogham, spent a lot of years looking into the vessel's past and published his findings as the Joyita Mystery in 1962. Mogham agreed that the events were started by flooding from the broken cooling pipe and failing of the pumps. The mattresses found covering the starboard engine were used either in an attempt to stem the leak or to protect the electrical switchboard from a spray kicked up by the engine's flywheel as the water levels rose. But at the same time, Joyita encountered increasingly heavy swells and a lot of squally weather. Captain Miller knew that the Joyita was practically unsinkable, and he was desperate to reach his destination so he could clear this debt. And with those thoughts, he pressed on. But Simpson and possibly other crew members demanded that he turn back. This could have effectively led to a mutiny and Miller and the crew struggled during which Miller sustained a serious injury. But now the ship was entering heavier weather with winds of around 40 miles per hour, and with only one engine and a flooded bilge, the boat was beginning to labor. The flooding in the engine room would have eventually caused the starboard engine to fail, and that would have also cut the ship's electrical power. Simpson was now in control and made the decision to abandon ship. So he took the navigational equipment, logbook, and supplies, as well as the injured Miller with them. It still seems unlikely that Simpson would choose to abandon a flooded but floating ship to take small open rafts into the Pacific, especially during a storm. Mogham proposes that they sighted a nearby island or a reef and tried to reach it, but in the strong winds and seas, the rafts were carried out to sea, leaving Joy Eda drifting and empty. The damage to the lightly built superstructure was caused by wave damage while the vessel was drifting in heavy seas. In July of 1956, Joyita was auctioned off by her owners for 2,425 pounds to a Fiji Islander, David Simpson, and he was not related to Chuck Simpson, the first mate. Now, Dave Simpson refitted and overhauled her, and she went out to sea again that year, but she was surrounded by legal disputes over the transfer of her registry from the U.S. to Britain without permission. In January of 1957, she ran aground again while carrying 13 passengers in the Coro Sea. She was fixed back up and in October of 1958 started a regular trade 
between Lakuva and Suva. Joyita once again ran aground on a reef in November of 1959 at Vatavalu near Lavuka. She floated off the reef and was assisted by high tide, but, but while heading home for port, she started to take in water through a split seam. The pumps were started, but it became clear that the valves for the pump had been installed the wrong way around. Now, what that means is that instead of pumping water out of the boat, it was pumping water into the boat. A double whammy. Now, with a reputation as an unlucky ship and with a damaged hull, she was abandoned by her owners and beached. She was stripped of any kind of useful equipment and was virtually nothing more than a hulk when it was bought by Mogham. He sold the Hulk in 1966 to Major J. Castling Cottle, who ran a tourist and publicity bureau at Lavuka. The Major planned to turn it into a museum and tea room, but those plans never saw the light of day. The Hulk disappeared piece by piece, and the process of disintegration appears to have been completed by the late 1970s. On March 14, 1975, the Western Samoa Post Office released a set of five stamps that dealt with the mystery of Joyita. In 2009, a walkway was named after Dr. Alfred Dennis Parsons, who was the Second World War surgeon on board when the first mishap occurred. They established this walkway near his former Torbay home in Auckland, New Zealand. Then in 2012, two memory stones in honor of the event were erected in Apia, Samoa, and in the Fakaofo village in Toklau. Auckland academic David Wright says that he solved one of the great maritime mysteries of the Pacific Islands when we're talking about this subject. Of course, he's talking about the MV Joyita's passengers and crew going missing. He said that the disappearances has always been a family story for Wright, whose mother's cousin Roger Perilous, the New Zealand administrator in Toklau, was one of those who went missing. Now an English lecturer at Auckland University, Wright has compiled years of research on the vessel and its occupants, and has published a book on the mystery. And in the matter of mystery writers, he wants you to read the book to see what he thinks. Six men, women, and children returning to Toklau, including a family of four, were among those who died. What truly happened to the MV Joy Vita may truly never be understood. But the mystery that remains will haunt those who know its story. Please like and subscribe to The Mountain Mysteries, and leave us a five-star review. Follow The Mountain Mysteries on Facebook.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries on Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries and support us on Patreon. Links are on the homepage www.TheMountainMysteriesPodcast.com If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors whose links are below or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. of Sloan Studios.
stay mysterious.